Three, two, one. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich! Malkovich, Malkovich. It's kind of a tongue twister. Malkovich, Malkovich. <laughs> Malkovich. <laughs> when you say it really fast, I wasn't expecting yeah. it to be that bad. Hey, everybody, this is Sardinicast. I'm Adam from Your Movie Sucks. If you couldn't, if you couldn't speak Malkovich, that's what I was saying. <laughs> I was ready to do that for like 30 minutes. I was ready. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want it to go episode. on so long. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Who else is here? I'm Ralph from Ralph the Movie Maker. Whatever. Much, <laughs> my chi. And I, I, I have something noted down that I really wanted to bring up. I, I, it's nothing to do with movies, and it's only a little thing. Okay. But I just want sure. to know, how, pure curiosity. Do you guys um have a uh, fairy liquid in your countries? What the fuck is that? Is. Yes. <laughs> I want you to guess what fairy liquid is. What do you um, think fairy liquid is? It's a common item you can buy in a supermarket in the UK. Uh, is it a uh, household <laughs> cleaner? Uh, close, yeah, yeah. It's it's a cleaning product. Mm, okay, okay, that's interesting. Is it like so close? As in, it's not household. Is it for your vehicle? No, it's uh, it's it's like washing up liquid. So just soap? <laughs> not soap. It's like it's like a green liquid that you put in the sink when you want to do the dishes. So dish oh, soap, okay. fairy it's liquid. It's like a dish soap. Yeah. You don't call it dish soap over here in La La Land. We call it fairy <laughs> liquid. So. Fairy. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, very <Yeah>. liquid. <laughs> yeah, it's just dish soap. You clean the dishes with it, it's dish soap. I don't... <laughs> Why did you say that? You're weird. Know, <laughs> just, so, just like, what, what, how did you come to that conclusion of just, like, you, you were just doing the dishes one day and you're like, this is a weird name. I wonder if it's only... In the UK, <laughs> is that what yeah. happened? Yeah, no, because it's been on my mind ever since doing this podcast. Just the disparity between the different <laughs> uses of English was well, mostly the UK that seems to just have our own <laughs> completely warped <laughs> view of the English language. Yeah. <laughs> I was just curious what you guys thought it would be. Yeah. Debatably, Australia too. You have a whole list of them. It's great. Yeah, no, I I've got that as well because. I have family in Australia, so mm. I, I just have the most messed yeah. up <laughs> like, just vocabulary. You're unique. I was watching uh, that shitty Artemis Fowl movie, and I'm not going to talk about it much. I'll just record a quickie next week. <laughs> but oh, yeah. there, yeah, there's great, constant talk of uh, fairies, but because they all have such thick Irish accents, it sounds like they're saying furries the entire time, and it was really <laughs> And they're constantly saying it. They're like, Human- humans and fairies will never get along <laughs> i'm going to watch little. that tonight oh, i'm very excited so not worth it pull up disney you do plus you. it's only an hour and a half i <laughs> guess it's so good it oh really sure okay yeah they yeah. showed it yeah they, they cut like it down to a well. stumped it out there that, that's that's why cool. it wasn't as bad as a wrinkle in time for me that was almost two hours that was so boring mm-hmm. oh forget that yeah <laughs> uh you uh, <laughs> there's a game that came out <laughs> And people have been yes. talking about it. There is. It's it's a sequel. It's not dividing anyone either. Everyone's in agreement. <laughs> Everyone's pretty yeah, unanimous in yeah. their <laughs> hatred of Well, I don't know. I'm not a fan of like the reactionary like internet culture where they just dogpile on something and give it one star ratings on Metacritic or whatever. Because mm-hmm. it's just we we all were talking about that lost. before. Yeah, yeah, all the nuance is gone. And there's there's good aspects to this game that like keep it from being ride to hell retribution or something like that like it's really polished and like the graphics are good but on a story level i think it's like uh 
it's not smart what they did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I guess before we go any further, this is not going to be a spoiler discussion right now. No. Um, We Mm -hmm. will likely do a spoiler discussion next week. I've only played like the first four or five hours, so I can't Mm -hmm. really add much (laughs) to the discussion. I can say a couple things. None of us have finished it, so. (laughs) I think I'm the furthest. I'm way past the halfway point now, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, So I I kind of know all the major beats of the story at this Mm -hmm. point, and I'm kind of with you, Ralph. It is... I'm not fully sold on it being hopeless because I do. I, I try to empathize with the creators as much as I can to to just see what they're trying to achieve, and I do see what they're attempting. But I really think it's incredibly clumsy so far. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, without spoiling anything, uh, there's there's things that happen in the story that. Probably, you know, if it were to happen in this game, it should have happened later sort of thing. Like, I, I there, exactly, there were things yeah. that happened that I did not really get an emotional impact out of just because it kind of felt like thrown in there. And it was just like, okay, well. It's the wrong have... emotion. That's yeah. the problem I have with it. It doesn't, you don't feel the way I think they intend you to feel. Yeah. I'm interested to see how we feel two weeks from now. Yeah, exactly. It might be a completely different conversation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've seen conflicting reports. Some people are thrilled by the ending and think it all comes together and and the opposite is true as well. So Yeah. Really? We'll see. Okay. There's some yeah. funny memes. <laughs> That's for sure. Lots of funny memes. For, from scenes that I haven't even gotten to yet, but whatever. <laughs> They're still funny. So, okay, we all pretty much agree that the story is not amazing. Yeah. Even so far, no. apparently the second half of the game is supposed to be worse. But uh, <laughs> mm. what what do you think of the like gameplay and mechanics and like art direction? I guess in terms of visuals, the art direction is incredible. I, I think mm-hmm. that just the look of the game is is ridiculous. The yeah. the the amount of detail is unparalleled, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The lighting for, and the from animations. anything I've seen. Yeah, they really try to capture it like it's a movie, like you're watching a film. Mm-hmm. and like the actors performances and the nuances where you feel like you're watching real people it's really the closest i've seen to like something that real so, yeah. yeah i appreciate that aspect of it i'm 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 like half and half on this mm-hmm. uh on, on it's this also goofy part. sometimes well <laughs> so they they 100 like the the facial animation is like amazing i think that 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 is one thing that they did really really well like there's a lot of detail in uh facial expressions and performances and that carries through really well i love the lighting uh Mm -hmm. and at the same time though there's there's uh some clunkiness there it it does feel unfinished for me in in certain ways like at the um at the beginning of the game comparing that to the first last of us game i remember in the first one like you could walk past different people in here like different conversations there were things going on like the officers or whatever like arresting people or whatever was happening but it felt like an Mm -hmm. an alive universe and you could like walk up to a certain part of it that wasn't necessarily a scripted thing that you're supposed to look at and feel a part of the universe whereas like this there was so much less interactivity and the the conversation volume like there was like a backing track of of conversations but nobody was really talking that i walked past they were all kind of just like staring at each other and like <laughs> making gestures every <laughs> right. once in a while like a really old game would do and it felt unfinished mm-hmm. in that way and there was a lot less to 
interact with like even in the opening scene of the last of us part one like there's so many things in the room just when you start as the little girl um that you can just yeah. like click on and see this game it, it there just wasn't much of it like everything that was happening was was for the sake of what you were supposed to do in a linear sense at least for the first part of the game that i played yeah it does open up a bit as you go on yeah but mm-hmm. I, I know what you mean because they, they were going to postpone the game and then they kind of did, but not really. They they were like, yeah, postponed indefinitely, and then the leaks came out, and then they were like, oh, we're finishing it up right now. It's gone kind gold. Forced. Yeah. Hmm. And then they just released yeah. it. And so I, I wonder if these things that I'm criticizing, I wonder if those things would just be polished if they had more time to work on it and didn't panic, I guess. Maybe. The story saying that, though, much, I think it yeah. is a really polished game for the most part when you're interacting with it. I mean, I, I haven't come across any, like, glitches or anything. It runs very smoothly. The animations mm-hmm. are good. The way everything kind of joins together is good. It's just, I think the the pacing is kind of all over the place, especially compared to the first game. And it's kind yeah. of a... It's, it's a problem I've had with Naughty Dog in the past. Is I they're kind of all over the place in terms of the way they truncate their games. But it's a story game. <laughs> You know, and if if you're not connecting with the story, it's supposedly about 25 hours long, you know? So if you're 20 hours in and you're not invested in anything as good and as fun and interactive as, like, some of the gameplay loops can be, it can be a slog sometimes. Like, I'm at a point now where I'm really struggling to find the motivation to to (laughs) go back and finish it. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, you'll know what I mean when when you get there. (laughs) I'm just like... There's so many games where it wouldn't even fucking matter, really, because the gameplay is mm-hmm. all there is to the game and the story is just an afterthought. But with Naughty Dog games, when they're attempting to be so cinematic and the story is essentially the forefront and the gameplay mechanics yeah. are just, you know, tools to tell the story through, even to a certain degree, debatably, mm-hmm. like the story, yeah. if you don't get that right, then you're affecting the core experience of the game, really. Yeah, exactly. I feel like if the story was just better than... I don't really think I'd have many complaints about the gameplay or the gameplay loops and upgrades and everything like that because it is is fairly similar to the first game but just kind of improved and polished in every way for the most part. You're saying the gameplay was improved or just graphically? Because like I haven't played the gameplay, very far into it yet, but the gameplay is not a huge jump or revolutionary by any means. However, yeah, it seems the same. I I think if the plot was was better and they made different choices, the gameplay would not be what people are would fixate on. Yeah, but it's not I really just... what part of the conversation at the moment. Anyway, it's all about the story. I think the technical improvement just made like the combat better. Like all the animations, yeah. and you can prone now. So there's like oh, the yeah. stealth mechanics are a yeah. little bit better. There's more upgrade stuff. So I do think, as a, on a gameplay level, in that way, it's better than the first one. Mm-hmm. But the story is like it's so much better in the first one that it's not even worth playing this because yeah. I would rather experience that, you know. But the combat is satisfying in this. I found it to be. I have no issues with that. And so yeah, it's some of the, the encounters um, <laughs> and the yeah. environments are like really striking i won't spoil any of them but there are some Mm -hmm. really cool encounters that you do go through which kind of picked it up every now and again for me yeah i'm excited to keep playing through it even even you know i before it was released i knew that i would enjoy it even if it's bad because i like bad things so (laughs) (laughs) right one thing i'm kind of disappointed by is the the music which i'm really shocked by it doesn't feel as impactful 
it's seems not like pun- exactly there's no punch to it yeah it almost seems like it's been relegated to the background or something i think it's also composition too i don't even think it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. mixing yeah, mm-hmm. it's just more subtle there are no memorable kind of musical moments like there's yeah. so many in the first game it's so punchy yeah i wonder what happened same composer love the guy yeah but yeah same no idea what happened there <laughs> maybe he was rushed <laughs> Or maybe he was paid a lot less or something and was like, okay, well, you're just going to get a lot less quality for what you're paying me for. I don't think they paid him know. less. This is a, this is a AAA fucking game. I mean, they didn't pay yeah. the fucking must be girl really that they ripped that song cover off of. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sony or I mean, they might have now after they uh, got criticism for it. They're, they're, I covered yeah, this on my uh, YMS Highlights channel. They took a song cover of an, an 80s pop song that had like this really like kind of upbeat catchy like the day is gonna i don't remember basically this cover song from 2005 uh lottie kestner her name is she transformed it into something completely new and original and she didn't just make it like this oh yeah now it's a melancholic guitar song she specifically added unique melodies to the song that were then replicated in the trailer for the last of us part two and it is that mm. unique melody that made me think like, okay, they definitely ripped this off because it, it's not mm. just like, oh yeah, coincidence. It's not just logical progressions based off of previously existing common ideas like Kimba shit that I talked about. There, yeah. There's unique parts of it that were replicated there. And about like, I don't know, a, less than a week after I posted that video, I was completely vindicated because they <laughs> acknowledged it on Twitter. They're like, due to an oversight, uh, we didn't credit uh, Lottie Kessner. And she was oversight. like, she was she didn't even know about it. So obviously she didn't get paid. Maybe she did now. So I don't know. Apparently, I, I don't know if this was confirmed or not, but like apparently they were really crunching the uh, like employees and animators and, you know, general staff yeah, anyway. Too. So I heard about that. like companies love to cut costs. They love to do that. You know, AMC and The Walking Dead, like that whole fucking story? Like, we can't just pretend because <laughs> yeah, they have a yeah. lot of money that they're not going to try to cut costs. Yeah, because they want to make more. Yeah. So you could, you, I, <laughs> I think it's reasonable to, to acknowledge the possibility that Gustavo Santoalala got paid less or something. Like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> think that's out of the question is all I'm saying. I don't have proof, but <laughs> I feel I, I often get vindicated on these types of assumptions. You never know. <laughs> Yeah, is that um, all we have to say about it so far? We can have a spoiler discussion yeah, I guess next so. week. When, for yeah, now. next time. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very interested in that. We should all have yeah, beaten same. it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'll, ha- I'll have yeah, two Sundays yeah, before the next episode. So yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So dope. There was a film recommendation. Two of them, a double two. feature. Spike Jones directed and Charlie Kaufman written features, and. Uh, the, this is a spoiler discussion for both of them. If you don't want to be spoiled for these movies that we're going to talk about one at a time, uh, just go watch them and come back. They're great. Uh, first mm-hmm. one, Being John Malkovich. And I guess you should watch it in this order anyway. I forgot to mention that last time, but it seems like people on the subreddit took care of that for me. Being John Malkovich. It is, uh, what, 99, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah. 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 Basically, it is a <laughs> really... <laughs> Weird movie, very unique and original. It's about a uh, puppeteer who loves to kind of live through other bodies in a metaphorical way through his puppetry, and uh, he just he gets a new job because puppeteering doesn't pay the bills, and he's kind of a douche. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it's <laughs> it's at this very strange building where the entire floor is uh, half the size of what it should be, <laughs> and everybody has floor. to like crouch yeah, there. Yeah, the low. seventh and a half floor. <laughs> and uh, while he's there, he discovers a a hidden tiny door behind a filing cabinet that leads to a portal inside of John Malkovich's head. And anybody who goes into the portal is trapped inside his head for a good 10, 15 minutes and then thrown out onto the the highway. And then, <laughs> yeah, the story goes from there. They, they tried to uh, capitalize off of it, him and uh, Catherine Keener's character. Uh, they decide to make some money off of it and sell tickets into John Malkovich's head. And the story goes really fucking crazy and it just keeps going mm-hmm. and it's really wacky and hilarious and I love it. So what do you guys think? Uh, I rated both of these movies five stars, Mm -hmm. but I erased those ratings because I wanted to watch this, like, you know, with a fresh eyes, fresh critical lens, Mm -hmm. clean slate. And I don't like this one as much as an adaptation. Interesting. But this one's great. I'm the same. I'm the same. Okay, cool. I think this one's really funny and it's like a... It's like a building block to adaptation, <laughs> but this yeah, this movie is hilarious. It's also like a, 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 just a fascinating think piece on its own, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. about the human condition, and just, it, you just start imagining what it's like to leave your head and what it would Be do to your else. psyche. To mm-hmm. yeah, because that's like part of the story is what mm-hmm. happens to Cameron Diaz's character, which I thought was one of the most ingenious parts of the movie to me. Where she figures mm-hmm. out she's trans, which is something that you could imagine in this like universe would be something that would happen to a lot of people if you could just jump into other people's bodies and experience what it's like. Mm-hmm. That that would be an inevitable result because it's not something we can even begin to imagine because obviously this technology doesn't exist. So the kind of absurdist use of all these storytelling elements is so clever in the way they use like they just explore it through these characters who will have different goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're all kind of some of them are more selfish th- than others. A lot of selfish characters, actually. It's very human in that way. That it's very, it's like, yeah, of course they use it to make money. Of course they use it to kind of like fuck each other and see what it's like <laughs> to connect in different ways. And it's it's almost Black Mirror in that sense. It's kind oh, yeah. of disturbing in a way. I found it quite disturbing to think about, especially the aspect where John Malkovich himself, who is just playing himself. He kind of loses control of his own body, yeah. As as the uh, John Cusack gradually figures out that he can stay for longer and longer, and he eventually just stays in him for months on end. That is terrifying to me, being controlled by someone else. Yeah, I, I love that idea. Do you think this is going to happen one day? We're going to have this technology. Uh, someone's going to like. I mean, your body? you could you could <laughs> replicate it, but I don't think it could happen literally. I think you could provide right, someone with yeah. more or less the same experience, but I don't know. I, I it, 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 the, the human consciousness is a physical property. What's the closest we thing? got? Like VR chat, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a fascinating no thing to think about. Yeah, it's very yeah, deconstructing like fame, uh, just insecurity. Like you, you want to be John Malkovich because you just want to be someone else. Oh, mm-hmm. John Malkovich is great from the outside, but you know, he's got his own things going on mm-hmm. and his life's fucked up too. So yeah. it's kind of a think piece on that also. And there's almost the the like culty element uh-huh. of the, <laughs> the the reveal of the these like eternal beings that have been living through people once they're they're ripe and they kind of almost farm people in a like mm-hmm. hor- horrific way. <laughs> that yeah, was it's really pretty morbid. <laughs> there's a lot of aspects to this that are just kind of like disturbing, especially the ending of the film. I find kind of terrifying. Mm. It is. Yeah, it's 
just it, it's like existential horror in a way in in many yeah, aspects yeah. to this mm-hmm. this script i love how imaginative it is it's crazy i guess i should talk about how he wrote this script in like 94 or something and it was always john malkovich he never wanted anybody else and it got passed around he tried to get somebody to pick it up and then eventually it made its way to Fuck, who's the director? I, I always blank on it. Oh, Francis Ford Coppola, I think. Was that him? Mm, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think right. it was him, yeah. And Spike Jones was his son-in-law at the time. And so Francis Ford Coppola gave it to Spike Jones, and this became his directorial debut, which is an insane first wow. feature. Like, he did music videos yeah. before this, but, like, what a what a crazy first feature. And also, just the... It's it's crazy that it, it was even made, really, because John Malkovich yeah. didn't really want to do it. And every producer talking <laughs> uh, with Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones when they were trying to pitch this to them, they were like, why can't it be Tom Cruise? Every single one of even John Malkovich said, why can't it be Tom Cruise? But it just wouldn't work <laughs> as well. It really wouldn't. No, and it, it wouldn't. What's funny is like one of the justifications for why he wouldn't use anyone else. It's like, yeah, I thought about it. It wouldn't. It just wasn't as fun imagining anyone else. Plus, saying Malkovich over and over is great, but you can't. Other people's last names, it doesn't sound as good. Just for that scene yeah, alone, it seemed to be like kind of an important factor. Yeah, Malkovich has that mystery to him. His, yeah, his voice and everything is like spoken but he can also lose it. He's just a really interesting actor and performer. And I really, yeah, I can't see Tom Cruise in the same role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be ridiculous. Because yeah, that's what's what so like, interesting too? about it. The way they're juggling all these different, incredibly wacky concepts and somehow manage to keep it believable in a strange way. Mm-hmm. I just imagine Tom Cruise going to Scientology meetings and then he possesses his <laughs> body during one of those. That's oh, what it would be. Yeah. Like, that's why the movie wouldn't work. You would just have to make up his whole life. <laughs> I mean, but in a, in a way, they kind of did that with John Malkovich, too. Malkovich yeah. said that he, you know, he didn't see this role as any different from any other role. Like, he was playing a character still. Mm-hmm. and um, It's clearly a character, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a really funny quote, like, um, after... He, I think this was after he had already agreed to the project, perhaps even after they were already done filming. But he was asked about it, and he's like, either the movie's going to flop, and my name is going to be attached to this, not just being a part of it but in the title or it's going to be a success and i'm forever going to be associated with this character and he was just like <laughs> the the fact that he actually wound up doing it and was such a fucking sport about it especially just the way that parts of it were written like some of them are almost kind of like borderline demeaning to his character but he's such a champ in in terms mm-hmm. of like him just being okay with it and actually going along with it it's it's great and it's what makes the movie the actor, so unique yeah. too it's like you can't imagine a lot of actors that would do that you can't imagine a lot of writers that would do something like this and you can't ele- imagine a lot of directors picking this up or it coming together in any way and people actually agreeing to make this movie like that's what's part of what's so crazy about it well yeah and also it's imagine trying great. to get the money for it yeah imagine trying to get funding for an idea this this wacky yeah like yeah. i won't mention it now but adaptation has like similar mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of uh, kaufman projects actually oh yeah I'm, I'm amazed they ever get made that's why he can't make them now physical. <laughs> it's because yeah, nobody it's, wants to make really these sad. kinds of things anymore <laughs> And he needed to get celebrities, too, to be in these. Yeah. 
like the celebrities are what sold it, I think. And maybe now yeah. it's just, it's not as much with that. You need like, the best of the best kind of actors mm-hmm. to sell stories like this. And they, they were lucky yeah. enough. If it was a the... fake actor, the movie wouldn't be as funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying yeah. to think of like, oh, the fanatic. The fanatic has a fake actor in it <laughs> called something Dunbar. Oh yeah, and, like, it would be Dunbar. so much better if it was a real actor. Yeah, but yeah. John Travolta should have played that part in the movie. <laughs> I don't consider John Cusack to be the best of the best, but <laughs> he works really well in this movie. In fact, I think I don't like <laughs> him in time. any other movie. I think this might be the only movie I actually like him in. I mean, I haven't seen every every movie he's ever been in, but feel free to challenge my twenty twelve. <laughs> exactly right i remember liking him in high fidelity but it's been a long time since i've seen it oh yeah that's yeah. that's a classic that i haven't seen yeah i don't think one. i've ever seen him in another movie aside from 2012 <laughs> he was in a lot of like straight to netflix movies recently like he's kind of fell off you never saw 1408 no i saw I didn't that see one that. yeah <laughs> it's not good <laughs> no <laughs> i can imagine but he's good in this yeah he was good in this not the best but I enjoyed Cameron Diaz in it. Yeah. A lot. And they made her, like, unrecognizable, too, which is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. But yeah, I, d- I didn't recognize her at first. I forgot she was in the movie. <laughs> they, they did such a, a dramatic change to her. Yeah. And I thought she did a really good job, actually. Mm-hmm. I forgot it was John Cusack, too. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I yeah, knew true. as soon as I started the movie again. But, yeah, my roommate watching it with me didn't recognize him until, like, 20 minutes through. Because, like, everybody's, like, actually transformed into a real character. Except mm-hmm. John Malkovich. Who knows? I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what he's like in real life. But he didn't seem, like, <laughs> so far off of what I would imagine. And then I think Catherine Keener got an uh, Oscar nom for this movie. Or did she win? I don't remember. But she got some sort of Oscar thing for, for this. She did a great job, too. Yeah, it was nominated for three Academy Awards. Best oh. Director, Best Writing, Best Actress for Keena. Yeah. Imagine making your directorial debut and you get a Best Director nom. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, That's that what you is... get for knowing Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. He knows so many yeah. people in Hollywood, Ford Coppola. He's like related to a yeah. bunch. Uh, Nicholas Cage is like, Woo! I don't know, nephew I mean, talented, or something? But... <laughs> of course, but yeah. His... his the the Coppola family name in film has gone on for so long, even before him, I think, like back in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember reading about, about that, that when we did the Godfather trilogy. Uh-huh. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now his daughters are directing movies. I mean, it's cool. It's yeah. cool. Like, but that's like how Spike Jones like got all these great people. Like, yeah. Partly. I mean, I love Spike. I love of course, Spike. like he I was terrifically, he was perfect for this job. Like he did a great job. It is just weird because I was like reading up more about this movie and just like my previous worldview of of <laughs> Spike Jones was like, oh yeah, he made a bunch of music videos and like proved his name in the industry and that's how he kind of got started. But it's like, oh no, it's you, you know people. Like that's so much of it. That's so much of the entertainment mm-hmm. business is just knowing people or like social climbing. It's like kind of, sad but yeah at the same but his time, talents also him. propelled him to yeah that of course next level yeah, yeah. where people yeah. clearly see that he's making great movies yeah. and so many different movies too like her is great but it's so different from this stylistically and yeah. how it's presented but the goofy kind of tone is still there i guess yeah i think this is yeah. um i would i would out, out of all of the charlie kaufman written films that i've seen this is probably the funniest for me mm-hmm. i don't know if you agree Do you think so yeah I think even adaptation yeah. has like less of a 
emphasis on the humor. I love yeah. Nicolas Cage, though, so that gets me. Yeah, he, <laughs> that yeah, gets me he, laughing. He was very funny, <laughs> even if he's not yeah. trying to be funny. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I guess they just for the absurd nature of it to work that there had to be comedic beats in there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it, it does work. In it that it has to not take itself seriously. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's why I prefer adaptation over being John Malkovich because uh-huh. as much as I enjoy exploring this premise, um, I don't really connect with it emotionally too much beyond you know some of the the humor and the, the, just the overall cleverness of it whereas okay. i do in adaptation yeah i agree with that i prefer this film always have okay and you know rewatching. i i know a lot of people love adaptation more Rewatching this i was expecting to perhaps like skyrocket my perspective of adaptation and maybe even love it more than this but you know i i, I love both of them more having watched it recently I appreciate both of them a lot more, but still, being John Malkovich is is still my favorite. And part of the reason for that is not saying that this isn't true for adaptation, but I think especially for this film, I I really, really love and appreciate movies that are written in ways where everything fits like uh, part of a puzzle. And this mm-hmm. is a film where, watching it recently, because I hadn't seen it in a while, I was able to pick up on so much more of just how everything connected and how everything was like purposeful, especially in terms of like the thematic elements, because you got the main character who says that he wants to live his life through these other beings sort of thing, like the, the, um, Mm -hmm. the puppets that he has, he's able to express himself more in that way. And then once he's in John Malkovich's body and controlling him, we see that he's much more confident and that he's actually able to talk to Catherine Keener's character. He's actually able to talk to her and communicate with her in a way that's not like complete cringe like the first half of the movie <laughs> where he's like yeah. the most awkward incel type ever, right? Yeah. And then you get to the elements like... I, I love that it's a puppeteer that winds up being able to control John Malkovich, like that makes sense mm-hmm. because he's so used to manipulating other bodies already that that works logistically for this fantastical idea, this this weird concept that they've created that fits. There's also, if you think about, I think her name's Maxine, uh, Catherine Keener's character. Yeah. If you think about yeah. her character and her motivations, she's figuratively puppeteering other people like everything is about controlling and puppeteering she gets off on it and we we get that from her character before there's even any element of like john malkovich portal sort of thing like she loves manipulating and controlling like she when they meet in the bar and she's like oh you just have to admit it like you want to fuck my tits and then she finally gets him to admit it and she's (laughs) like yeah not happening and she just loves that she can control him that's all she wants Mm -hmm. and that plays into her motivation of like her loving the idea of being able to control more than one person simultaneously it's like oh two people looking at me and loving me through the same set of eyes and then she's like oh yeah well i can control john cusack and he can control john malkovich and i can control everything and so in a way she's her own kind of puppeteer and and i i just i think it's brilliant and really thoughtful wow (laughs) i don't know what to say to that yeah no that's a that's a great point yeah Yeah. very deep yeah every everything fits 
Like, there's not a single thing that's wasted. With his other films, too. He's a very thorough writer with, like, the detail of the world and how everything works and how the characters, yeah, how every line actually means something and how, like, you can pick apart every line. And, yeah, everything means something. There's so many parts of the movie that you almost feel are throwaway lines. And we get asked this question quite a lot, or I do anyway. I, I know we've been asked this on the podcast before about, like, what is the difference between good and bad reincorporation. And to that, I would mm. say that good reincorporation is something that you don't expect will come back later. And when it comes back, you're like, okay, that yep. that fits and that makes sense. And so there's throwaway, supposedly, seemingly throwaway lines in this film that do come back later. Like when John Cusack is saying, consciousness is a terrible curse. I think I feel I suffer. And the curse of being conscious is what he's actually subjected to at the end of the film. He's limited to just purely consciousness and nothing else. So it's like his character mm. wasn't really appreciating not just him being consciousness, but him having, I guess, agency and control over what he was doing. Whereas at the end mm. of the film, he's limited to just purely consciousness and nothing else. Uh, there's the line mm. about the... Uh, chimpanzee character and they were just saying like oh yeah he's got like post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever and you think it's just like one of those like tiny funny things but then it actually plays into the plot and we get the chimp flashback mm -hmm. and and it's like oh we're actually seeing what gave him <laughs> ptsd and it you know he winds up freeing uh cameron diaz's character and so everything is just like it's so tight it's so neat it's just nothing is wasted. And I, I love scripts yeah. like that. I love movies like that. It's just, I, I appreciate it so much. It flies mm. by too. I think the pacing and just the structure of the scenes are, is pretty impeccable in a lot of Kaufman movies. Um, it, it, it is just, they know exactly when to start and end a scene. And it, it does just go by perfectly. I, I really like when a film like you check your watch and you're like near the end and you haven't even noticed because it, yeah. it's just so so well made and everything fits into place in the way it does. Mm -hmm. There's there's so much about this movie that is like, even from the directing, like who knows if these elements were in the script or not, but there's like a lot of nice subtleties, like the the scene where they're out drinking the at the carrot juice bar or whatever, and it doesn't really, mm -hmm. it does, we don't mm -hmm. get a close-up of this. We, we're just able to notice it, but you know, the scene starts and we see that uh, Lester's finished his carrot juice and john cusack's character has like not even touched it before he leaves even though there's been like plenty of passage of time i love little details like that and mm -hmm. um yeah. it adds to the character it adds to the scene it adds to the context yeah i i got more to say but you guys <laughs> there's definitely a lot of detail about this movie that i've missed and would need to re-watch to pick a pick apart because yeah, yeah it's the the cleverness does keep you going, but I was I'm just more inherently drawn to some of the other Kaufman stories because they are also like metaphysical. I guess it just depends on your life experiences, which ones you resonate with more, and mm -hmm. what you kind of are drawn to. Right. Mm -hmm. I just feel the same way. I, I enjoy the absurdism of this. Um, I keep comparing it to adaptation too, because adaptation a huge part of being. Like John Malkovich is like in adaptation. Yeah, also. yeah. They're companion pieces, really. <laughs> yeah, they are companion pieces. They go together really well too. 
Um, I enjoy like how that film, it's absurdist and how it's presented and the story is crazy, but there's nothing actually in the, the logic of the world of it that's that far-fetched. It's pretty mm. much the world we live in. It's just how the story's told that's ridiculous. I think that's like the brilliant part of of adaptation that like I don't even his rest the rest of his movies don't have at all like all of them have this fantastical element to it mm-hmm. that you have to buy Synecdoche mm-hmm. New York or Anomalisa that that one doesn't it like it's the most human and like real world one I mm-hmm. guess <laughs> and that's like why grounded, that one's yeah. my favorite yeah more grounded yeah well actually one detail in being john malkovich that i really enjoyed were the lighter absurd elements that kind of slowly introduce you into the wackiness of the world like the 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 office with the yeah like the secretary who (laughs) thinks she has a speech impediment but is is fine there are lots of little detail quirky little details that do ease you in so when they get to the the reveal of the the little door behind the the cabinet yeah it, it eases it you into works. the tone. It just fits. It was yeah, it was Lester yeah. that thought he had the speech impediment because she, oh sorry, the secretary yeah. is just refusing to admit that she has a hearing problem. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, it is really funny. <laughs> they have their insecurities and they like can't see outside of themselves. I think yeah. that was part of it too, and that fits thematically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like miscommunication as a theme, and that's also mm-hmm. a big theme in Synecdoche. And like rewatching these films like there's so many kaufman isms in these mm-hmm. that you know obviously synecdoche i'm much more familiar with but revisiting these i'm like okay yeah like we we see a lot of the same ideas in a lot of charlie kaufman films uh and also eternal sunshine let's not forget that one oh yeah and yeah. it's done in a way where each idea is so fresh and each has a different purpose and a different tone and a different goal that there's so many other writer directors where they do have the same, you know, Kaufmanism sort of like tropey things like Xavier Dolan. Like there's so many of his films that yeah. wind up doing a lot of the same thing, but it's kind of hit or miss. And some of some of those films for Dolan, you kind of just get sick of his whole shtick. You're like, oh, we're doing this again. Okay, you're kissing yeah. a, a pretty boy and you're playing the character. Okay. Like there's, there's, <laughs> but with Kaufman, it, it doesn't get old. It's, it's so fresh every time that even if there are yeah. these ideas that very clearly connect with him as a writer that he's very passionate about and wants to communicate, even if those still exist throughout his works, they don't feel like, oh yeah, we're just doing the same fucking thing again. So that, that's, that's part of why he's a really great writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely has a, a special lens that he presents his stories through he's clearly very intelligent and very empathetic yeah very thoughtful very creative his ideas are so meta and he understands people yeah yeah clearly i mean to 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 some degree yeah uh there i mean we even get that through uh some of the writing of dialogue like just the awkwardness of how john cusack's character is played in the first third of the film there's Mm. there's scenes where it's so delightfully awkward but not in a like weird kind of like not not in kind of like a stereotypical judd apatow comedy awkward kind of way but in in a coen brothers-esque kind of way where it's like okay i don't know how you wrote that you must have just heard someone say it like this must have been plucked from real life or something because no one would (laughs) think of that but it still seems natural the way it's said, like uh, when he was uh, 
the way he was phrasing his conversation when he was trying to talk to Maxime for one of the first times, like, oh, I work at this place. Where where are you starting to work? Just like the way it was phrased, just these weird little details where it's like, okay, you're delightfully awkward, but who can write that? You know, it's like it's a weird writing challenge in a way to like actually get yourself in the mind of a character who would talk like that or say something like that, mm-hmm. where it's not mm-hmm. like a typical thing that anyone would ever say. But it still works. It's super polished, yeah. <sighs> you got more? I got more. I gotta, like, <laughs> you got more? Good, good. I gotta, Keep going. I gotta scroll through <laughs> yeah. my notes. Though, so if you guys You've clearly keep... gone a bit deeper than I have on this movie. Because yeah, I, I connected more with adaptation, so I'm, I'm more ready for that movie, honestly. Mm. I'll just go through my notes here. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the beginning of the film, there's a detail that I really enjoyed of, like him literally playing a tape recording of an audience cheering, which is just a very succinct kind of like neat way of, of introducing his goals and motivations as a character, which obviously comes back into play later. Like he wants to be famous for this, this sort of thing. Yeah. And that in of itself, like not the most incredibly unique or creative idea, but it's just a nice little thing so that we don't have to be beaten over the head with it. I guess it, it perfectly establishes it right away and that's very important in terms of writing is getting the basics covered which is why artemis fowl was such a shit movie is because there are (laughs) things happening in that film that are just like you know scenes of exposition where they could be plucked out of any other movie but they didn't cover the basics first so nobody gives a shit about anything that's happening but you didn't cover the basic contextualizing right you gotta get you gotta get those out of the way in the the first part of the movie so that people care about what's going on Let's see what else I got here. Malkovich. <laughs> that scene is awesome, by the way. Oh yeah, with all of the <laughs> <It's so weird. laughs> the different Malkoviches. Because it must have been a nightmare to coordinate. Because it, it it's directed and executed very well. That scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and Spike Jones. He's good with those visual effects, but they're very yeah. seamless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I um, I really love the score. That's something we haven't mentioned. I think the score mm. is very memorable. Yeah. Um, it sounded very John Bryan-esque, and then I realized it wasn't actually John Bryan, and it was Carter Burwell. <laughs> so, oops. Oh. Yeah. I just assumed <laughs> it was John Bryan, but it was not. Have you ever thought about doing a full video on this? Or you... I mean... I suppose you've still got some key to get through. <laughs> I just like, yeah, there's... I gotta... <laughs> I gotta figure, you know. I gotta prioritize which projects I'm working yeah. on, and not just there's there's tons I could make videos on like this, <laughs> but just uh, that is one yeah. of the special things about Charlie Kaufman, though, is that every one of his films feels like you could just write papers on them. You can tear them apart and yeah. really analyze all the yeah. the detail in there. They are essay worthy for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I liked the. Uh, the sound design choices when we were inside the perspective of uh, people inside Malkovich, like the yes. uh, really loud eating and gulps of coffee and all the other <laughs> audio was kind of like relegated mm-hmm. to the background with like tiny bits of white noise. It was really cool. Yeah. And the perspective too, where you can see the hands like a plinket reveal or something. I have one <laughs> tiny little nitpicky criticism about the presentation of the film. Uh, and it's within mm. that scene where we first get into Malkovich's head is the mirror the shot. Mirror. Yeah. yeah. Because you can tell it's at yeah, an angle. That. Whereas if perhaps if they had a higher budget, they could have built a set 
where the mirror was just pointing to a mirrored version of the same set behind it and had Malkovich just walk in yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So that would have been a fix. But again, and it's like it's so it. minor <laughs> that it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but other movies have done that well. Yeah. Less money. That was much later, I think. Mm-hmm. Enter the Void. But Yeah. Yeah, this is nitpicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just mentioning yeah. it because I yeah. would mention it in any other movie, I guess. I love the line. <laughs> like, there's so many great comedic moments. Like, uh, I don't understand how I could go on living my life the way I lived it before. And Maxine just gestures towards the window, the open window, like, fucking kill yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> so good. Her character is just so awful. But, I mean, all the characters are kind of fucking awful in this movie. The main character is yeah, just a piece kind of, of the shit. Point. <laughs> Everybody's an yeah, asshole. Yeah, he he's very unlikable. They're monsters. That's the whole point. The line where uh, they're at the house of, of Lester, and he's saying, okay, enter the fifth door on my left. And then she gets confused mm-hmm. and goes through the wrong room. There's so many other films, so many other television shows. Like It's a common trope of like, oh, I'm looking for the bathroom, but I accidentally enter another room sort of thing. Like, that's a very common thing. But the way that it's set up in terms of just that simple line, enter the fifth door on my left. He's already such a quirky, weird character that it's like, you just imagine that's something that he would say and you wouldn't correct Mm -hmm. him because it's just like, okay, well, this guy, uh, whatever, he's fucking weird. But that Mm -hmm. alone, those directions, it's like, what does that mean at the same time? And so you can totally understand why someone would get so confused it's not just like oh yeah i i show up and there's too many doors sort of thing like it happens in so many other stories yeah there's like a a logical reason in the writing for why that would happen (laughs) there's just so much in terms of like i already explained maxine's motivation and how that plays into her and how you can tell basically from the moment she's entered into the story uh but i love as soon as Maxine meets Lottie you see this grin on her face and immediately you can tell like she's she's thinking like I can use this and everything just adds so much into these these characters motivations and especially when she's like let her go Craig I mean him and she sees that as a way she's like okay I'm going to not misgender you and I'm going to see you for your Mm -hmm. true self and I will be able to manipulate you more because of that. And I'll also be able to ma- manipulate Craig more because of that. Every bit of conversation, like when they smoke weed and she starts saying like, she literally starts talking about the virtue of people going after what they want so they don't regret their lives. And that not mm. only plays into her as a character, but that is a, a very clear way where she's seeing how she can manipulate someone else. And she's literally just suggesting, making enhanced suggestibility for Lottie's character, basically telling her what to do, but pretending as though she's just being philosophical. It's very slimy. Mm -hmm. I love when Malkovich finds out that all of this is going on Mm -hmm. and he says, I will see you in court. And from that moment, all I'm thinking (laughs) is like, if that happened, that would be so funny. Just imagining what... (laughs) a courtroom would be like of like they got in my head and they were selling tickets to my brain (laughs) just how goofy that would be everything's so wacky and then oh yeah the cameos the cameos were so good yeah yeah i noticed (laughs) that david fincher's showing up randomly (laughs) 
That was hilarious. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. The half second of Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Sheen. That entire sequence where they do that, uh, I think it was American Art Institute parody. It's just so well done from like a parody level. Like it seems really genuine, like it could be a real thing. And on the mm-hmm. uh, Criterion Blu-ray and the special features, they basically included that full sequence without cutting back to the characters. Like you could just watch it as if it were a video sort of thing. Oh, that's cool. Oh, cool. And I don't know, maybe this was just easier to pick up on watching this way. Perhaps it cut to another character in the film, and that's why I didn't notice it. But when they talk about his uh, Malkovich's breakout puppeteering performance at the Grammys, I think, whichever or the Emmys, whichever one it was, they talk about his performance, and they say that his act was he was manipulating a marionette that was also manipulating a smaller marionette. So basically, you see the shot of Malkovich holding Uh, a puppet, and then the puppet pulls another puppet out of a box. And (laughs) I I wish that they had made that more clear in the film, because I think they cut away from that moment. Because watching that in the featurette, all I'm thinking is like, that's exactly what is happening in the story, too. Because John Cusack's character is puppeteering Malkovich, who is puppeteering a puppet. So it, there already is that extra layer. And so th- if you think about it, it's it's like a third layer rather than just a second layer. And it's just, it's so crazy. It's like the the fucking, uh, the warehouse in Synecdoche, New York, where they build New York inside of New York. Yeah. There's a just so many layers yeah. and it just loops on forever. Yeah, I guess just one last thing. Uh, <laughs> there was a uh, <laughs> There was a special feature on the Criterion Blu-ray uh, that was a commentary track from Michel Gondry. And mm-hmm. basically, he did a commentary track on the whole movie. I don't know if it was specifically for Criterion or what it was for, but it was literally just Michel Gondry, who is the director of uh, Et- Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And yeah. he's a friend of Spike Jones, but also kind of like a competitor. And what's really weird about it is <laughs> before you even play it, they call it a selected scene commentary. So they cut down the commentary. They, they cut out like a good half an hour of it. So it's still like an hour long. And they say it's for reasons of accuracy, audience engagement, and legal liability. Which, that last part <laughs> makes me think like, who did he threaten? Who did Michel Gondry, like, what did, <laughs> what what did he say? It's very interesting, yeah, yeah. I listened to it. He was just shit-talking people the whole time. He was saying really <laughs> weird shit. Like when Catherine Keener was under the the covers he he called up spike jones and put him on speakerphone saying like i've run out of things to talk about <laughs> and and he starts asking spike jones he's like was was Catherine keener wearing panties in this scene he seemed like kind of a creep it was really weird <laughs> but it's uh, really weird <laughs> yeah all right i've rambled on for quite a bit about this so <laughs> no, i'm glad good. you like it i love yeah, it glad there's passion for it i wish i had the same passion i still really yeah. like it I probably won't watch it again for another few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, newfound yeah. appreciation for it, for sure. Uh, always loved it, but now There's I love it There's always something to more. uncover in his movies. Every mm-hmm, time yeah. watching one, it's like watching a new movie. So, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot going on. I really like it. Uh, do you want to give ratings? Or? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I was torn between a, an 8 or 9. I'm going to settle for on an eight for now, mm-hmm. um, but uh, 
I could see it being bumped up on, on an eventual rewatch. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving this one a 10 out of 10. Bazinga. Whoa. We got him. Love it. Is that mirror shot? I had to take off two points for that. <laughs> Unwatchable. <laughs> Unwatchable. Make it again. <laughs> need a remake. Yeah, where they just fix that and they put a... <laughs> who, would it do, who would it be now? Tom Does Cruise. anyone have that same stature? Yeah, I can't do Tom Cruise again because he's in Scientology meetings all day. You got to do someone with like a good life. Being like The Rock, you could do the being being Dwayne Johnson and Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart. Yeah, yeah. Being Dame Kevin Dahan. Hart is Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> All right. Does one of you want to uh, introduce the next film? Alex, you want to? Spoilers. I can try. <laughs> okay. Okay. So spoilers for adaptation. Then this one came out two thousand and two, so three years after being John Malkovich. And what makes it? interesting is kind of the angle it takes because it's partially an adaptation of the orchid thief by susan orlean but at the same time it's also kind of biographical based on charlie kaufman's struggles in adapting this notorious book which is known for its kind of rambling structure that just wouldn't work as a as a film plot so he really cleverly spun it in a way to incorporate the themes of the book, but also add the original metaphysical spin that he's known for. So Nicolas Cage plays Kaufman himself, totally neurotic. Like he he can't stand the film industry. Every time his twin brother, who's also played by Nicolas Cage, brings up Dumped. any industry term, he shoots it down and says, don't bring that up in my house and things like that. And he's super awkward, an- anxious, uh, super low self-esteem, can't interact with women. But he goes on this journey of kind of self-discovery, yeah, with a bunch of really high-profile actors. I guess this was the one I was kind of more referencing in terms of these... Best like of the just best. powerhouse of actors, Nicolas Cage, Tilda Swinton, Meryl Streep, Chris Cooper. Like mm-hmm. the main cast is very good for the movie. Chris and, Cooper won and, an Oscar, and, I think. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did deservedly so because kind of like in being John Malkovich, there are some wacky characters and some over the top stuff, but it is grounded in this universe. And I, I really loved the kind of message being this idea that it's almost like a statement where he's he's taking this this story that's ridiculously hard to adapt but he made his mission to adapt it in a way that would have these extra layers in his kind of Kaufmanesque way mm-hmm. even though at, at first I was I, I never really like that idea of self-inserting yourself. Like it, it is kind of a, a stereotypical <laughs> yeah. writery thing to do. And even where you like it. the main character is yourself. Yeah, exactly. That was the moment where I was like, I'm so glad it. he addressed that. Yeah, because it really fits into the character. He's so self-aware of every single aspect of his life. Yeah. He's so ultra critical of himself. I thought that part really worked, especially mm-hmm. with the way he incorporated Hollywood tropes like narration and the kind of the third act of the movie where there's the showdown because they, mm-hmm. they they constantly bring up like Deus serial Ex killer Machina. movies and stuff like that De- yeah mm-hmm. yeah that great scene with the where he kind of goes to the the, the screenwriter who does the, the lectures yeah. <laughs> who has a go at him and he, yeah this kind of a moment of change well, he can't for the find character. a third act he's like life doesn't have a third yeah. act it just keeps going he's like you gotta write some shit and so yeah. the end of the movie is just like they introduce this whole like porno 
thing <laughs> like never came up before yeah like they have drugs a porno and site guns where she has pictures on it chase. yeah drugs and guns and it becomes like yeah this crazy movie with guns and violence <laughs> but it's what people want at the end so yeah it's foreshadowed really well mm-hmm. just the just the whole meta side of it is, is it's, it's such a, crazy a clever idea. way of yeah. it <laughs> I can't believe what makes it work is that they had the resources to pull it off and like a, mm-hmm. a really good cast. Like mm-hmm. that's what yeah. kind of elevates yeah. the material. Like people take yeah. it seriously because of that. Yeah. They're all playing real people too. Like uh, Susan Orlean, John LaRoche are real people. And so there was like an extra level to their performances that was impressive. I guess that's why Chris Cooper got an Oscar because mm-hmm. maybe he played John LaRoche really well. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm not familiar with how the real people act, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure either. When I first saw the movie, I thought Donald Kaufman was a real person because it says like, <laughs> I know, written right? by yeah. Donald Kaufman and <laughs> Charlie Kaufman. And like upon like looking up on the internet afterward, I was like, wait, where's this Donald Kaufman? It's a fake yeah. person. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was like interesting how he explored like himself yeah. and almost like what he wants to be, it's like different what he wants from himself, himself as a writer. Yeah. Like, cause that Donald Kaufman is like, uh, he's charismatic and he's a ladies man. He's a good writer too. Like he doesn't try too hard to write something epic or Bizarro a deep. World Kaufman. Yeah. He just writes like studio crap that people and love and he makes successful. millions of dollars. Yeah. yeah. He's super successful. And Charlie Kaufman's like, why don't I do that? Why am I stuck? Like fucking trying to adapt this thing and driving mm-hmm. myself crazy. Yeah, writing an idea that's artist. not even going to work. Yeah. And I mean, like, in a, in a way, it's like kind of an admission that no matter how, no matter how atypical and how much you want to not follow the rules, there is some sort of structure that is necessary if you want to make mm-hmm. your film, <laughs> right? And have it be yeah. viewed by people and have it be successful. And it, it's a way of kind if of admitting that there like needs it. to be a balance between these ideas, which is where the writing credit kind of comes from in kind of this meta way and i love how a person that doesn't exist got nominated for an oscar (laughs) i wish he won (laughs) yeah what would they do he would just walk up up on stage (laughs) i guess charlie coffin nicholas cage (laughs) maybe he had a double or maybe he just hold up a mirror yeah that would be funny (laughs) yeah nicholas cage gives two wonderful (laughs) performances and they're Mm -hmm. different too yeah yeah, because it's it is a very honest depiction of uh, himself. With like, <laughs> he 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 really doesn't hold back any punches. Like most scenes end with him like just jerking off and like fantasizing mm-hmm. and just pissing about and being distracted. And <laughs> it seems like a lot of himself was injected in in an honest way that doesn't, you know, like like in the room where it's all clearly there's an, <laughs> it's all written to be pure fantasy. Yeah, there's a lot of real like realism to the characters and a lot of the humor comes from that like i i, I thought the humor was very solid in the movie because yeah, it does feel very, very realistic and relatable uh-huh. yeah i mean if you're going to write about yourself you can't just have you, you can't just turn yourself into the this like idealist sort of super yeah. character so it really works that his character is self-loathing and just <laughs> constantly Incredibly putting flawed. himself down yeah he, yeah, he fucking yeah. hates himself, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it works really well. I love the title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it supposed to have a period? Yes. Sometimes I see it with a period. Yeah. I think Sometimes so, I yeah. don't. Yeah, so that's why I was it's confused. It's like a statement. Yeah. 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 Adaptation, like an adaptation of a book, period. but also 
the thematic elements of adaptation as in, you know, adapting and overcoming. And then, you know, we see the shots of like evolution and history of, of life and, you know, and the, the idea Mm -hmm. of adapting to your environment can also be placed in the, the literal plot of him adapting this book into a film and how he eventually had to compromise and realize that he needed these other elements in the film in order to make it work and changing himself in order for things to actually succeed. So there's a lot to read into there. There's the parallel with being John Malkovich in the way John Malkovich himself was kind of torn on the idea for adaptation. The author of the book, Susan Orlean, was torn on the idea and her oh, first course. response was to yeah because it doesn't make her look <laughs> that great but again props to her for allowing it to be made and mm-hmm. you know it's, a, it's another example of just all these these pieces coming together in the right way and people trusting the kind of artistic integrity behind it and everyone believing in the project enough to make it come yeah. together and work logically the movie shouldn't exist so it's like two in a row for kaufman where he's just had this like crazy idea that like when when he was turning in the script for adaptation, he thought that it would literally kill his career. Yeah, that's right. Because he didn't tell anyone. <laughs> he was supposed to make an actual adaptation of The Orchid Thief. And then eventually, just like in the film, because the film is about writing the film that it is. It's mm-hmm. he's like, OK, well, I have to turn it into something else. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to make it all me. I'm going to literally all me. I'm going to turn it into something creative. And then he just didn't tell the people funding the movie until he handed in the draft because he knew that they would not go with it. And so when Susan yeah. Orlean was handed this this script, because she had to approve it in order for the movie to actually happen, um, supposedly they didn't pressure her in any way because the people pitching this to her were like, yeah, we don't really, I mean, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Like, we, we won't blame mm-hmm. you if you just say no. And she said, like, she she thought about it. And she said that because she wasn't pressured into it, even though she was really skeptical about it and and from first instinct was just like, no, I'm not doing this. Because she wasn't pressured about it, she said that she felt like kind of emboldened and was like, yeah, you know what? This is my choice. Let's let's see how this works. And then the movie got made. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. It's insane. It was good. (laughs) Shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. I love... I mean, obvious. Th- this is like a, a no-brainer, but I love how meta the film is because it's it's <laughs> yes. not just a movie that's about writing; it's a movie about writing the movie that you're watching, and it's, it's so yes. When, when it starts getting into the point where he's writing the actual film you're watching, yeah, and he's, we're writing, yeah. he's writing scenes we're watching like yeah. play recording out, recording. <laughs> that's very where, funny. Yeah, he's saying yeah, what he's that. saying repeated. It's so energetic and it's so much fun. Just to think uh-huh. about, but they don't do it too much. It doesn't get annoying. Oh yeah, it's not the whole breaking. Movie. Yeah, it's, it's clearly there's other things going on. Although there are kind of more subtle instances of that same thing uh-huh. happening, because near the beginning of the film, one of the lines when he's uh, starting to write, even though he's not talking about the film that he's currently write or or the version of the script that is in the film, he's one of the lines is okay. So I need to establish the themes, and that's as the themes are being established in the film. So it's kind of also meta <laughs> mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It works on an emotional level for the character though, at the same time, like it, cause he's so frustrated and he is in this block. So seeing him come to the revelation of he suddenly has this idea 
and then it all mm-hmm. twigs and all the cogs fit together yeah. and you're like oh the, he's just describing the beginning of the movie yeah yeah that's when it becomes like something really great to me mm-hmm. yeah. and from there it, it just goes deeper you kind of get a view of how writers are treated in hollywood as well yeah. in this like mm-hmm. how they're kind of thrown to the wayside they show charlie kaufman on the set of being john malkovich oh yeah and i don't know what really <laughs> happened but from how it looks they just kind of treated him like shit like they just think of a fuck about who are him you ignoring him yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know the the meetings with tilda swinton just kind of dismissive like oh yeah do you have the draft yet and he's like this nervous wreck they're clearly like not on the same level at all like yeah. she's mm-hmm. all dressed up prim proper he's fucking like you could tell he hasn't slept in three days and he's wearing the same shirt yeah it's just (laughs) awful (laughs) and i feel bad for writers so i'm glad he threw that in there too there's a level of uh the other movie that has that too yeah criticism of the industry Uh criticism of the industry how actors are treated writers are treated yeah as far as the meta angle goes i really liked the way they, they would talk about the top level kind of way you structure stories you you kind of learn a fair amount like if you didn't know much about the way filmmaking and the script structure and all of that works that Mm -hmm. they they explain a fair amount and you get a good idea of where one would have to be to start to formulate a story and put it together and the essential Mm -hmm. tenets that make up something like this it's very clever it actually it's one of the movies that makes me want to write like start writing yeah it's just no, like such a i fun... find that i find that it's very yeah. like it's inspiring, inspiring creatively thing. fulfilling yeah just get mm-hmm. a tape recorder and start rambling to yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah that i don't do <laughs> first of all no one has a tape recorder anymore you're gonna record yeah, it you your just phone, rant it to your uh, yeah your phone <laughs> a voice memo I, I i love the the pitch of donald kaufman's script i love i love just how like cliched <laughs> and just like you know, it's the type of thing that could sell, you know, realistically, especially yeah. in the early 2000s, where he's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a serial killer, <laughs> and it turns out that it's actually him the whole time, and it's a split personality. <laughs> and what's really funny about this is, like, they, they directly mention the contradiction that would arise from, uh, if there are all these characters and there's, like, a chase scene, then, you know, where both of the vehicles coming from. So how can he be in two places at once? And he's just like, yeah, well, I don't know, it's subversive. Like, like just kind of explaining <laughs> it away. And then the very next year, another film came out where, I guess I won't say the title because it's a spoiler for the movie, but a horror film by a French director, and that enough should give it away, uh, <laughs> that, that did that exact same thing. And I like the movie, but like, holy crap, that, that gigantic plot hole just like kind of ruins the... <laughs> Oh, wow. the movie <laughs> so much that roger ebert even mentioned it in his review he he, he said That's there's fun. a plot hole so big you could drive a truck through it so <laughs> yes yeah, one of those projects that i'm shocked that it even comes together the way it does shouldn't you know? exist like it is so um amb- it's so ambitious and there's so many things about it that really shouldn't work things that should bother me me but it really doesn't mm-hmm. even down to like the the special effects in the movie are, are, are just flawless like the twin <laughs> special effects yeah. are fantastic the, yeah uh, like the fake teeth thing with it with the front teeth on the uh yeah yeah uh, chris cooper's character and his missing teeth and the, the alligators and all that it is all very kind of like being john markovich it's all very believable yeah that's happened in movies before where it's looked like really fake the fake the the missing mm-hmm. teeth thing it's like oh you just painted it black 
Yeah, and those side characters are actually, we haven't really talked about them much, mm-hmm. but I really like Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper's dynamic, especially exploring this idea of this this person who's not really satisfied by anything, and she <laughs> she finds a way to start becoming interested in yeah. things, and I, I really like that angle. Their storyline gets a lot more interesting for me once that element is explored. That doesn't really happen yeah. right away. But once we get that aspect of her character, it, it does become much more watchable. For the first part of, of their characters, I'm not as interested. I find the Nick Cage mm-hmm. storyline to be much more interesting overall anyway. But I enjoyed uh, Chris Cooper's character's kind of tragic backstory. Where he just oh, yeah. reverses out without thinking. And that's almost kind of a cliche, too. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is funny because it's like you almost can't criticize the movie for any cliches that exist in it. Because it's like, oh, well, yeah. that's just a part of what it's saying, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, is that part true about his life? I have opinion? no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be. even matter, yeah. really. Yeah. Clearly, the stuff at the end is is fictional. <laughs> but I like that they don't, they don't spell it out either, that the whole end of the movie, the joke of it is that the third act is just kind of some shit he threw together. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, just so the movie can end. But just to feel he satisfying, yeah. Yeah. But if you aren't, like, thinking about that or the third act of the film, you're just watching it as an experience, as the characters, it works just fine, too. And that's, mm-hmm. like, what's great about his writing. Like, the characters and their journeys make sense, even with the absurdism of the story taking place in, in every instance. The denouement. Uh, even, um... <laughs> Little emotional beats, even like uh, when the brother Nicholas Cage's twin Donald does get killed in the car crash, and and that scene where Nicholas Cage calls up his mum to tell him. I just thought the execution of that was really solid. Where it's not he doesn't sit yeah. there kind of weeping and explaining everything. It's just edited in a really brisk way that delivers the impact of the emotion um, without mm-hmm. just going too far into it. You just totally understand where he's coming from. I like yeah. I like how the cliched idea of Donald Kaufman's script, and I'm just kind of noticing this right now, it kind of fits thematically into the twin brothers in the sense that they are the same person, whereas like Donald Kaufman's script is literally, there's multiple characters mm. that are the same person, and yet they're both extensions of Charlie Kaufman as a character. So that fits mm. nicely. Yeah. yeah, I just love this movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. It's fun in a different way. It's fun, ways. it's smart. It's very original. There's nothing else like it. And it, Nicolas Cage is in it, and he's fucking great. <laughs> Double like, that's Cage. That's just to get people to watch something. Yeah. The like, original Gemini Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as cool as Gemini Man. They don't fight. Mm. They just talk yeah, in a room. It's not like a motorbike punch uh, out. He just, but... he just sits in a room and writes on a computer. And jerks off a lot, yeah. And jerks off. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing. That's funny too. How how mm-hmm. it's just how much of a loser he is. He just sits inside all day, jerks off, right? Yeah. <laughs> just you just can't get it together. This is the type of yeah. script that could even work if the Orchid Thief wasn't even a real book. And if this was like the goal that Charlie Kaufman had from the beginning mm-hmm. was to tell a story about writing, then it still could have worked. But the fact that is so meta and it literally is an adaptation of the orchid thief in this way and it is about him writing the script that he's actually sent <laughs> to, to, for the movie yeah. that makes it just so much better 
Like it still would work yeah. even if it, it wasn't that meta, but it's just even better. But yeah, I just love how it proves that you can basically tell an interesting story out of anything. Like it, you can make anything interesting if you put the, the work in. And that's basically what the movie proves, even with how notoriously difficult it would have been to translate a story like that. It mm -hmm. can be done just with yeah. a bit of that orig originality and creativity. Mm -hmm. I wonder why he took the project in the first place. Who? Charlie Co I wonder why he decided to adapt the Orchid Thief He says in the first like place. he wants to grow as a writer, yeah, like the character says himself, in the movie. Right? So, yeah, mm -hmm. I wonder if it was something like that. Nobody's ever made a movie about flowers. <laughs> they might yeah. have offered him a lot of money. They don't want to mention that part. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Uh, speaking yeah. of money, though, both of these films were successful. Going back to your point, Alex, <laughs> which is great. Like the, these original smart films, and they were both very successful. They both made millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the same thing would happen today if you had the same. Well, Charlie Kaufman still makes films, and they're not nearly as like renowned as yeah. I feel they used to be. You know, they, were like, they don't get the enough. same buzz. Uh huh. They're successful. Like people still really like them. Yeah. They just have like this indie. They're in the indie circuit, and then they go in festivals, and then that's it. Anomalisa should have been seen by way more people. Yeah. And same with like Synecdoche. And it's also everything. harder with animation. Yeah, it might be that too. Telling adult stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wasn't that one funded like crowdfunded or something? It was partially crowdfunded, and then Dino Stamtopoulos showed up and was like, "Okay, I'll just let you do whatever you want." And was That's just right. gave the money and just didn't influence anything, which is yeah, like the perfect producer. Charlie Kaufman strikes me as a very lovesick person because I realized while watching this mm -hmm. film that every single one of his movies essentially has a character longing for like an important sort of like intimacy with another character. Yeah. So that makes me yeah, kind of sad, like a bit tortured. <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. Because it's like it's <laughs> from what I can tell, it's like clearly a part of him, right? It's like yeah, it's just, really just one of the. Yeah. It, it's hard it's, to know like exactly where the characters end and he starts. Yeah. Exactly. But, like, but there's, there's just yeah, so there much is, of him in these, these movies. Like you mm -hmm. can tell mm -hmm. he is so literally personal. in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It gets back. I don't know if like, yeah, it's Charlie Kaufman in the movie, but I don't see him as a person as that character. Oh, of it's course. clearly a character. And yeah. it's just like maybe parts of him thrown in there, but yeah, I've it's, met him. It's a caricature. He's, he doesn't yeah. act the same way Nick Cage acts, but it's exaggerated. I'm sure he's changed as a person since yeah. the release of Adaptation to when you talk to him as well. I'm sure he's not the oh, same sure, person. Yeah. yeah. He might have, I don't know, gotten over jerking off. <laughs> maybe he doesn't jerk off anymore. Yeah, I saw it more as like an exaggeration <laughs> to make the story kind of more dramatic and work on that level. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, and it adds something to the story that makes it so much more interesting. The fact that I'm actually Googling if Donald Kaufman is real, if the Orchid Thief <laughs> is real. And some things yeah. are, some things aren't. That's the funny part. It is such a unique film. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't Nothing think of anything like else really like it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I guess Crazy. that's why we're so compelled by Kaufman, because yeah. it is just such a rarity to find originality quite like this. Yeah. My favorite screenwriter. I don't know if either of you agree, but it's pretty... He's definitely up yeah. there. He's yeah. a very good writer, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't make films a lot. Like, he releases films not very often. I mean, he doesn't you can tell factory he, like, produce them. Puts a lot of for sure. Exactly, <laughs> he puts a lot of passion in every idea and takes his time. Yeah, and it shows. Especially chaos walking. That one's gonna be, mm -hmm. 
Or is this this weird Netflix one? No, the Netflix one is, I'm thinking of ending things. Chaos Walking is the Doug Lyman, however you pronounce his name, Ah. the Edge of Tomorrow one that's been finished for like two years, but they keep postponing it because it's apparently so bad that the studio doesn't know what to do with it. And there's like eight different writers on the project. So clearly Charlie Kaufman's, I mean, it's an adaptation of something else anyway, I'm pretty sure. It's just a writer mm-hmm. for hire. This is like fresh after Anomalisa, right after like all those articles came out where he was ah. like, yeah, I made Anomalisa hoping that it would help get other projects funded, that it would be like a massive success. And then that didn't happen. And then what is the first thing he does? He takes this like studio project where it's just like, okay, well, I'll make this shitty thing for now <laughs> before I make something mm-hmm. real again. So but I'm excited for that one because it looks bad. But yeah. That's the good part. He got paid and now he can make something yeah. good. Sometimes you got to just bite mm-hmm. the bullet and, you know, don't <laughs> don't spend too much time on it. Just give them what they want. Just like uh, but again, no, yeah, make a Donald Kaufman like he, movie. Maybe he's just branching out and trying to make like a, a big studio movie like that. And maybe it didn't work out, but it's nice that he's trying new things. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited for the Netflix one. <laughs> that should be coming yeah, out this year, sure. although there's no specific date for it. So that, that other movie, he was brought on as a writer it was already like a script that someone else had written I th- I, he might or have he written like the first the script. draft of it i don't know yeah, the specifics okay. but there's like eight other writers scripts on it. change a lot <laughs> like they get rewritten a lot so yeah it sucks they just took his script away from him i'm not expecting to experience a charlie kaufman movie <laughs> uh-huh. watching no, exactly. chaos walking yeah I- i'm expecting a dumpster fire <laughs> <laughs> which is why i'm excited it might be good I don't think so. I don't think so. It would have come out. It would have come out already if they knew how to release it. It's literally been oh, finished yeah. for like two years, and they're just like, "What the fuck do we do with this?" <laughs> and have you read the, the no premise? Idea. Oh yeah, read no, it again. I don't it's know what so it's good. about. A dystopian world where there are no women and all living creatures can hear each other's thoughts in a stream of images, words, and sounds called noise. Yeah, it sounds so funny. <laughs> it's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> Sounds like Tenant. It's going to be it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this year it's coming out? No, it was supposed to come out. This, so it already had gotten postponed once to January 2020. And then before any like COVID or anything, they decided, mm-hmm. nah, we're, we're pushing it forward another year. And it was postponed yeah, to January 2021. So we don't know. It's probably just going to get dumped on digital, which if they're going to do that yeah. anyway, I would suggest doing that now. But I just I don't I think they've just forgotten about it. The studios just doesn't they don't know what to do with it. They're like, nobody's going to enjoy this is the impression I'm getting. <laughs> but it'll be fun. Hopefully. <laughs> Sounds dumb. <laughs> Tom Holland's in it. Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. Uh, he must be so okay. young. If they filmed it like years ago, it's gonna look <laughs> yeah. like a little baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I um, I really enjoyed adaptation. There's like little bits of uh, details here and there that I picked up on this time, like uh, him saying like before he goes into the meeting, pretending to be his brother. He's like, "Don't laugh how you laugh," and then immediate cut to mm-hmm. him laughing, which I found kind of funny. <laughs> but it wasn't like yeah, so yeah, but... overt. It wasn't so obvious that it was like the punchline, but it was just a, a nice little yeah. detail. Yeah, they always reel it back. They don't go over the top with the ideas. It's mm-hmm. very subtle. Spike Jones makes both of these really great, too. I love that yeah. Charlie Kaufman mm-hmm. is able to work with great directors. Now he's directing his own things, which is just even better. But it was really crucial 
for his ideas to work to actually collaborate with talented mm-hmm. people that could bring his vision to life so both spike jones and michelle gondry like if you had directors that were not as competent these ideas would never work that well like they wouldn't be the same films at all so much of it is the directing too even though i'm like obviously you know gushing over charlie kaufman you got to give credit to spike jones for both of these films yeah there seemed to be a a real knack for the visual storytelling i think it's part of why i like the the pacing and the flow of these movies so much is Every every single thing that's described, every, whenever someone starts going into like a monologue that's talking about something, the, the visuals will change to kind of show it in, in certain ways. There are mm-hmm. whole sequences and adaptation where they show like almost like B-roll in intense detail of what they're talking about, like the, the bees flying around. That was a good sequence. close-ups of the plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. loads of really visually stimulating sequences. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a bunch of stuff like that. Probably like miniature puppets or something i don't know how they did that it was a really cool shot yeah. it looked really convincing no, and real yeah but like just the no. way the camera was following the bee it's like okay that can't <laughs> that's not real yeah, how did, yeah. <laughs> i want to know what they did that's a sign of a, a visual effects shot that works yeah you don't know how they did it yeah really great movie love it yeah really great it's probably yeah. my favorite kaufman movie oh. this and uh this and eternal sunshine are my two yeah. favorites yeah, yeah. Mm. I wouldn't mind talking about Eternal Sunshine at some point because that's yeah. One day that would be amazing. Good. I love it. Yeah, I want to go on in deep into Anomalisa at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could do that. Just all of his movies, just all yeah, of them. Could, yeah, we could just do yeah. all of his movies. Chaos Walking. <laughs> yeah, even Chaos Walking. Oh, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that one day <laughs> when it is released five years from now. Yeah, or whenever. <laughs> whenever it'll it'll become the new uh, the day the clown cried. Yeah, it'll be released in like fifty years. <laughs> uh ratings for yeah this? let's do it yeah what do we give it uh 10 out of 10 for me yeah it's it's almost so clever that it's annoying there, there's sometimes <laughs> films come around like that where i'm just so flawed by how they come together that i'm like almost annoyed by how like flawless they are and that's one of these movies for me i give it five star i don't connect with it as much as a number of charlie kaufman's films i love it and appreciate mm. it obviously Super unique, original, and meta. Lots to pick up on. I'm going to give it a 9. I'm going to be fair. Okay. And not just give it a 10 because it's Charlie Kaufman. I'm going to give it a (laughs) 9. I like the writing angle to it a lot. I feel like I relate to that. It's Mm -hmm. a crazy job being like a Hollywood writer. Like I can't. Yeah. Because you you just like write all day. Like you don't have to go anywhere. It's probably very lonely. Like just (laughs) you sit all day and write and you can just hand in drafts like whenever you want. But yeah, it's yeah, it's a strange job. Mm -hmm. And then he makes tons of money upon like delivery. So he doesn't have to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. All right. Question time. Yeah, I think so. Okay, questions. let's do some questions from the Sardonicast community. If you want to leave your own questions for future episodes, head over to the Sardonicast subreddit where there'll be a suggestion thread. Let's start with this one then from DHMO Protection Agency. Adam has mentioned in his Blu-ray collection livestream that Human Centipede won't be recommended on the podcast because Ralph and or Alex wouldn't want to watch and discuss it. <laughs> uh, is that true? You guys have said before that you wouldn't, you don't, you don't want to watch through them. I, I've I'm seen pretty them sure all. I've, I, I maybe it was Ralph. I don't remember, but I've, yeah, I've mentioned this me. on the podcast I, I just, before, yeah. and the impression I got was that you, <laughs> at least one of you, maybe both of you, 
Or Are you morally against them, Ralph, or what? Just like no, I'm not morally against them. Okay, I just think so they're I, stupid. Yeah. I, so I oh, it's not like a thing that. where my stomach, my stomach can't handle it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, no, it's oh, they stupid. Are stupid. It's I like a bunch of, it's, it's a bunch of that. dumb props. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just right. find the idea of it like so silly. Like, like the guy who, which just any director really tries to just shock the audience with a bunch of gore and shit. It's just mm-hmm. <laughs> literally shit. Yeah, what literally I mean. shit and like yeah. Babies Pooping. being squashed and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it's like I'm yeah. not interested in any of that crap. Not because it's disturbing, because it's just dumb. As long as it's self-aware. I think well, the second funny, movie was pretty different. self-aware. There's like Tree Venge, which is like a movie of like a bunch of Christmas trees stomping on babies. But that's like <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's that's different. Yeah, never like heard the of Christmas it. trees are like getting all tied up. You know how they're treated? Like you know they get tied up in the van and thrown in the back. And then like in the second half of the movie, they get revenge on the humans, so they like terrorize the town. And one of the trees like stomps on a kid. <laughs> but that's like really goofy. <laughs> so did you just different. spoil Tree Venge? It's a short. Come movie. on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Hopefully, it gets people to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good ass movie. I don't know. I might not recommend it. Uh, the the Human Centipede trilogy, anyway. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not against it. Like seriously, I okay. was probably just joking when I said it. Yeah. Yeah, but the second half of the question was, what are the rules you guys have for recommendations? Does it have to be a physical or digital release? Are Netflix exclusives allowed? Are TV shows or web series allowed? Any other film slash shows y'all have agreed to not recommend? Sorry for the lengthy question, you sexy sardines. <laughs> <laughs> I think anything within a reasonable amount of time can be suggested. Mm-hmm. Like a season of TV, I think, is reasonable for someone to watch. It's like 10 hours. Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking of recommending a season one day. Yeah, like you recommended Xavier, Renegade Angel. That yeah. was also a comedy, so you didn't have to watch like all of them in order. Yeah. I'm not against yeah, like, and it was trilogies. Only like two, three hours. Or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, ten minute long episodes. Yeah, I would be against like watching a whole anime, like a forty episode long anime. Mm. Yeah, we're not gonna do all of Death Note. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> That's probably where I draw the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially anime. Especially, <laughs> especially anime. Get out! I of hate here. animation. When, I knew one person would take it that way when I said, like, I, I don't watch animation because it's for kids. And then someone got upset about it. I'm like, what? I was fucking joking. Yeah. <laughs> I love animation. God damn it. All right. Yeah. Okay. There are no rules, really. Mm-hmm. Let's do this one then from GGG375. If you guys could time travel to any point in history, where would you go? Oh my god! Mm. Easy for me. I, I, yeah. I'd go to uh, maybe the Cretaceous period. <laughs> Have a look around there. I dream to see a dinosaur in action. Yeah, for good though. Like, or just like yeah, visit. no, because then I could leave <laughs> these weird relics that would be found. <laughs> you could leave your phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could leave a copy of the Madagascar trilogy Blu-ray. <laughs> and it would be heralded as like kind of like the Book of Eli. Yeah. But it's yeah. the fucking Madagascar films. <laughs> we wouldn't invent the technology to read it <laughs> until yeah, until like 2005 yeah. or something. Yeah, it's just a couple years before it comes out. <laughs> well, it wouldn't come out because yeah, it would already have be to a, inc- a thing. Yeah, you would have to include like a DVD player, uh, electricity... Like a generator, just an yeah, iPad loaded with, TV. with them, a solar yeah. powered iPad. <laughs> iPad loaded with it. That's right. <laughs> uh, I would go to 
uh, when Bitcoin started becoming a thing and uh, become a billionaire. Oh. <laughs> the lame answer. That's a good idea. Well, no, because like, like okay, the, that's like the, the Back to the Future two answer with the um, the the almanac or whatever. In my thought process, I would want to time travel to points in time where I had like an understanding of things that were going on, and I wouldn't be like, okay, so future, we don't know what's happening in the future, and then certain amount of period before just now like what period am i going to go back to where i'm not going to be like persecuted for being a homo right so if we can <laughs> just keep it within things that i've already experienced then i mean i i feel like i could exploit that the best bitcoin is is the okay. most obvious that's, thing that's you can to... mine it without even really spending a lot of money into it there are people that you know like one bitcoin <laughs> wound up being worth like quite a quite a lot like thousands of dollars right yeah so if you it's if you had a crazy. computer that was mining bitcoin and just saved it and sold it all right before the big crash then you could just be set for life and so that's the most realistic practical sort of answer that i could give anything else would just be a crapshoot and i wouldn't really know what i'd be getting myself into like, hmm. yeah you're thinking quite practically i guess i just imagine myself as like a fly on the wall that's my dream mm. scenario being a, a little fly flying around history yeah, <laughs> yeah. Da- dinosaur uh, times might be dangerous you might just die <laughs> oh if, like, no doubt be dangerous there. <laughs> yeah if i had to actually physically go back it would not be it would not end well well what's the me. i mean is that not implied by a time machine but you know how about this then like I'm, I'm on my deathbed and i can just be sent back and my my dying breath i see a dinosaur before it steps on me or something <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. Medieval times, I think. I like. Mm-hmm. Like tenth century. Yeah. Like I wouldn't live in any time prior to now, just because I think, like, I would miss Netflix and That'd TV. Be horrible. And, yeah, you'd movies wish, and all you'd that. You'd miss having like plumbing. <laughs> yeah, plumbing. Yeah, all that. Yeah, computer video games so I, w- I wouldn't go back to any time maybe the future if you go too far it would be like uh you, you could go into like some apocalypse <laughs> so yeah that's what i want to know it's like what if we were to time travel into the future what year would we say is a safe bet mm-hmm. like how when- far God, before yeah. i like just stumble into like it's just rubble <laughs> yeah it's just <laughs> apocalypse. i'm just like yeah. oh shit this is where my apartment was but now it's just rubble <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like when are we going extinct? When is like the, exactly. when is the world truly gone to shit? We don't know what's in I the love future. About that. I would go like right on the edge of that. We thought we'd have like a lot of cool shit right now. We thought we'd yeah. like be this advanced society, and in ways we kind of are, but in, t- yeah. in other ways we're really not. So I don't know yeah, what year agreed. I would even go to if I went into the future. Seems like kind of a disadvantage to go into the future, unless you're just mm-hmm. in, unless you pull like a Futurama and you're just earning interest in your bank account yeah just to see mm-hmm. what it's like just for fun maybe you could make money in the future as like a like a tourist attraction yeah. i would say a safe bet would be like 50 years because you'd have yeah, like you'd be like amazed by all the fucking cool technology virtual reality would be the coolest thing ever it would just be like real life <laughs> yeah video games are going to be great in just yeah. five years yeah, yeah dude but think about that though that's the same equivalent as someone from the 70s jumping to now mm-hmm it probably would be pretty weird 
Yeah. Like, society's pretty different. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the the best thing to do with a virtual reality headset is put it on a boomer. It's like they're on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't know what's going on. <laughs> I tried VR for the first time the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You like it? What'd you play? Yeah. Um, I played a bit of Half-Life Alex. Nice. I've never experienced VR before because I've just never had access or been convinced enough to buy it because... Mm-hmm. Honestly, the, the the like clips on YouTube and the videos of it don't right. do it justice. Exactly, mm-hmm. it is it is mental. Play some Beat Saber. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so much fun. I'm thinking of actually investing yeah. in one for myself. Do I'm, it. Uh, just don't know which one to pick. It's the thing. Um, the Vive Pro I have, and I have the wireless attachment. I enjoy it a lot. Um, the Index is supposed to be really good or like really comparable. You might yeah, want to choose depending on which controllers you like better. The However, the index cool. is like uh-huh. back ordered by quite a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. So you'd be waiting like six months or some shit. Okay. I would go with the okay. Vive. Yeah. That's what I have. It's really... Some of them don't have like... Because the Vive has two sensors that you place in the room so you can walk around. And yeah, a lot the of these VR is. sets don't. Yeah. A lot of them just have like the headset. And those kind of like... I, I guess they're fine, but it's not nearly as good. Yeah, the... uh Lighthouse base stations are compatible, and also the controllers. Like, they're interchangeable yeah. between, like, okay. Vive and uh, the Index. So, if you wanted to, like, pick different parts oh, cool. from each, even though it wouldn't be as cost-effective to do it like that, but it is still possible. Mm-hmm. So, I've used the okay. Index controllers with my Vive system. Oh, right. Yeah. The yeah. Vive controllers, I've, I've had issues with them. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They, like, get stuck. The pad part. <laughs> you know? Oh, really? I haven't had that issue. Yeah. That's what happens hmm. when you play Beat Saber on it and you're tapping it, like, excessively. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Furry and Zero says, How do you feel about people who use political or moral biases as ground for criticizing films? For example, Ben Shapiro said Par- Parasite was a good movie in every aspect, but he disagreed with the social politics. Therefore, it won the Oscar because it supports socialism and is only praised for that reason. On the flip side, people criticizing three billboards for having a mixed message in the morality of how the characters' arcs are handled. Do you think there is any weight to these arguments? Can you think of other examples recently where people have heavily politicized films? Uh, I would love to know what Ben Shapiro actually said, because now I'm confused. Like, He says that it was a good movie in every element except what it was promoting thematically and politically. But then he would also say that, (laughs) that the Oscars only picked it for its political and thematic reasons and not because it was a good film. So to like admit that it was a really great movie, but then say that like, did he actually say that? I don't know. He said a lot of stupid shit. I I don't, I don't go to Ben (laughs) Shapiro for conversations on art, especially after his embarrassing, statements on things like uh rap music and john lennon's imagine that's fucking cringe uh ah, yes yeah, but yeah another that. example of that would be like armand white <laughs> who very clearly just mm-hmm. the only reason he would dislike or like a film is whether or not it it aligns with his conservative beliefs that's that's abundantly clear at this point yeah if if what you're saying is i personally don't connect with the film as much because of these reasons i think that's totally justified but if you're only talking about those ideas and not the actual craft of the filmmaking i think that you're not really including the full picture of what a film actually is yeah i'm i'm interested by these takes from people that 
incredibly political or have extreme moral biases but that's what's confusing about this statement like if he does acknowledge that it's like yeah. a good movie i can't get that angry but if if your only reason for not liking a movie is because it doesn't line up with your politics that's kind of a shitty reasoning for not liking a movie yeah mm-hmm. well not liking is it the same as like not liking or just being critical because i think just being critical of a film even if you like it and you're gonna say something like that is fine Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the more recent examples I can think of is how politicized like Star Wars movies are now. Mm-hmm. So many different takes on it based on the, the kind of implied politics that people read into it. And it's like, that to me is like such a, a low level of like interest in where those films go wrong, you know, like... Mm-hmm. And it gets to a point where you're just guessing about, like, intent from all these people that, like, produce and, you know, get the cast and crew. There's more things going on in a film than, like, just one message. And to just Mm -hmm. hate a film or lock onto that one message and dismiss the rest of the movie, I think, is a bad idea. But to be critical of themes like that in Star Wars, which are pandering or whatever, I think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, yeah. And it depends who it's coming from, too. If it's coming from a critic who I expect to be a little more objective and who's getting paid to give their opinion in some kind of, like, professional magazine or journal entry, then I I expect a little more objectivity. If it's coming from a fan, then that's different. You know, Mm -hmm. it's okay for it to be a little more uh, subjective and maybe more passionate. Yeah. When you mention pandering, I, th- I think that's a good word because um, to me, it really uh, depends on how forced and obvious it is. Like, but but if that yeah. is the case, then my issue isn't with which political ideas or which themes are in the film. It's how it's presented, which goes back into the presentation. So if there are things like fucking Pixar's onward with the gay character thing, it's like, come on. Like you didn't really do anything mm-hmm. here. It's just, you, like it's so easily edited out for for Russia and China. Like it, it's just annoying at that point. It's how it's yeah. done, not that it's there. Obviously, I don't give a shit if a gay character is in a movie. <laughs> like <laughs> that's yeah. not an issue. It's not which political idea. It's not which thematic idea. It's how it's handled. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, whether or not it aligns with my personal beliefs is kind of irrelevant. There's movies that very clearly like not not even just films but like songwriters that are very clearly religious and even though i'm not Mm -hmm. i still relate to what they're saying and i still can appreciate what they're saying on an artistic level and you know some sometimes a film isn't necessarily made to just align with what you believe sometimes it's about learning about what other people believe and learning about not just the characters in the film, but the character of the person that wrote it or the people that made it different perspectives. Yeah. So I like getting into other Mm -hmm. people's heads in that sense. So yeah, it doesn't really matter where they're coming from politically. It just matters how it's done and whether or not it's going to negatively impact the film by how it's presented. Can one of you guys remind me about this three billboards thing? I remember yeah, there being some drama about it, but it's been a while since I've seen that movie, so I, I can't really remember this mixed message of the morality that is referenced in this question here. That one I'm not too sure about. <laughs> oh, I don't know. If is I remember Sam correctly, it was about like inconsistency in like a character's motivation or something like that, or like a perceived inconsistency. 
I think I think that was kind of what it was about. But like again, I don't think that every movie should be necessarily saying like here is how you should live your life because not every movie is trying to say something like that there are films that follow despicable characters and there sometimes there is no lesson and you know we were talking about adaptation charlie kaufman is (laughs) playing around with the idea is like what if what if i make a film where people don't grow and don't change and don't learn anything by the end of it it's like that's a perfectly valid thing to do Yeah, yeah sometimes depicting evil doesn't mean you're condoning it yeah you know they're like separate things Films are like artistic expression too. People express things about themselves they don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Charlie Kaufman in adaptation obviously has a lot of negative qualities. It, it doesn't mean he wants those things. It's just it's it's realistic. It's things people struggle with. I think mm-hmm. people find that interesting more so. And in mm-hmm. an industry where you have to make money, it's like let's make movies where things like violence happen and guns and everything. People are bad characters because people want to watch those things. Mm. out of morbid curiosity or whatever. That's what people find interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I find those stories interesting too. A Joker was a very successful film, made a billion dollars, and he's a villain. So yeah. that's a And something. that was heavily politicized too. People yeah. were trying to project things onto it before it even came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of annoying. It's like you're put into a camp whether or not you enjoy something now. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just not... You know, you're lacking a bit of nuance if everything's that black and white. Man, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a shame to see that discourse just get more and more toxic. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. All right, one more question. Okay, let's end on this one from Mobile Association 8, who says, What are some overrated films that you guys cannot stand or cannot wrap your head around the hype? Hmm, I'll have to think about this. Um, I don't know if it's like considered great or anything, but... I never understood the like joy around the hangover like movies. <laughs> Speaking of Joker. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's so I just stupid. never understood that. Yeah, yeah, they are really stupid. I enjoyed the first one when I was younger. I wouldn't watch it ever again though. Yeah, I liked it when I was younger, but I just a few months ago I just put it on late one night and it's like <laughs> weirdly like gritty and ugly those films. <laughs> he's kind of a good pick for Joker, I guess, because he likes the grime and like the sweat and the dirt showing up yeah. on people's faces. The second Weird and third one are like the third one's like a crime movie. The second one's just so dark, and kind of disturbing. Yeah, and, and the third one is too with like the giraffe being killed as like a gag and stuff uh-huh. like that. It's all very like dark. Yeah, yeah. The reason why the first one was successful was because it did unexpected things and it would just take it another level further, right? And so, like, if you're trying to make a sequel of that kind of idea, sometimes you might kind of think that you're getting at what made the first one successful without really getting at the heart of it. It just it, it just mm-hmm. became a parody of itself, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Or you go too far. It's just not funny anymore. It's a little too over the top. Yeah. They have a hangover again. I remember in that movie they kept saying, like, it happened again? It's so stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that kind of writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't stand Let's it. Let's just make a sequel because it made money. Mm-hmm. I think the yeah, sequels made people turn on those movies or like turn on the first one. If it had just been like one film, I think people would have, uh, it would have had like a yeah. Step Brothers kind of um, legacy. You like Step Brothers? Oh, right, yeah. I don't, but 
people love yeah, that film. Yeah, they think it's a people great are really passionate movie. about it. <laughs> yeah, I've had their, they, uh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> when we went to what is it, Sundance, and the cab ride, the, the taxi driver loved. Oh yeah, he loved Step so Brothers, and he was animately defending it. I just kept my mouth shut and, and watched you guys argue. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> it was a friendly argument. Yeah, but like he, people love those movies. I have friends back home too who think those are some great comedies. It Steph is Brothers really hard and, to. Uh, Anchorman. Tell someone yeah. they're wrong for finding something funny. Cause it, right. <laughs> yeah, when they connect with it. If you find it funny, like, what can you say? You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. You can't just say it's stupid because, like, that's the that's what makes it funny. That's exactly that it's really the point stupid. Of it, yeah. And Steve Carell is playing, like, this really absurd character who does yeah. things that makes no sense. It's the man child movie yeah. to the extreme uh-huh. times 100, yeah. I think Kung Pao is hilarious, but I can totally understand anybody <laughs> that hates it. It's like, okay, right. yeah, mm-hmm. if you're not into the humor, there's not much else there right yeah so um overrated movies the first one that comes to mind is creep i don't know why anybody likes creep i fucking hate it i think it's awful (laughs) yeah are they considered are they like highly regarded or something there's people that like it it was successful enough for a sequel (laughs) true so and like often i get the question why do you hate it's got 74 it's got 74 metacritic weirdly yeah Awful, 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 bad, cringe movie. Not scary, (laughs) not funny, super lazy, super repetitive, doesn't offer anything. It's just so bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I can't think of one. Mm -hmm. When people ask me overrated, I never, like, answer it. I don't like overrated, like, the term. Mm -hmm. It's not my favorite term, either. Yeah. But this is a question we ask so much. (laughs) It's one of those common questions. Yeah, it is. Yeah, huh. I don't know. You could you could scroll through the top 250 on IMDb and probably see a bunch. Yeah, that it's just like, well, why is that? Toy Story there? Four, superhero films. Yeah, yeah, like those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Avengers. <laughs> I like those too. Yeah, I mean, so I like The Dark Knight. I don't think it's like in the top five movies ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, overrated doesn't mean I hate it, but yeah, it's like some superhero films. I would say the latest Avengers films. Are those in the top 250? Because, like, I like those Probably. Movies, but, uh, like, come on. Yeah, they are. That's up there with The Godfather and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the top 250 is just kind of Stalker. fucked up now. Like, come yeah. on. The Seven Samurai. Mm. <laughs> Dark Knight Rises in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dark Knight yeah, Rises. Is. I really like Dark Knight Rises, too. <laughs> That's a good answer. Mm. All right. That about does it, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, Great awesome. questions. We have... A film recommendation from the one and only Ralph Seppi Jr. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited. What have you got for us? Uh, So I have a movie from the director of Old Boy. Not that old boy. Uh, (laughs) Do the Right Thing from director Spike Lee. Mm -hmm. So we'll watch that for the next podcast. Oh, nice. Awesome. It should be fun. The Criterion Blu-ray, is that out yet? Yes, I I actually got that recently. It's very nice. It's like one of the nicest ones I have. Yeah, it was only Great on film. DVD on Criterion for a while. Mm-hmm. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. If you don't also, want to be spoiled for Do the Right Thing, directed by Spike Lee. I almost said Spike Jones. Two Spikes we talked about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Watch it before the next episode. Uh, if you want to support the show, $2 a month, sardonicast.com, sign up for premium. You'll get these episodes early as they're edited. Also, patreon.com slash sardonicast. Also, we got merch. All right. Nice. That was a good discussion. In honor of uh, the next episode, I'm going to watch Old Boy, the the remake. Oh. I'll watch that. Oh, really? When's the last time you saw yeah, that? Just to see. <laughs> when it came out in theaters. Yeah. I thought it was okay. Yeah, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, it was okay. I saw it with my dad. 
I find it offensive. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. <laughs> yeah, it, My dad hadn't seen off. the original one, so he's like, "Yeah, that was pretty good." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, Bye-bye. thank you guys. Malkovich. Bye. Malkovich.